in a time like this, um, the revealing is meant to uh, uh, sort of precede and make a way for one thing to come to an end so that something new can begin. And uh, I really do think that we are in such a time and it is uh, it is not the, the end of the world, but it's the end of something. And it's 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 necessary for us perhaps to to not resist that ending, to not lament it, even even though certainly there's there's a painful uh, uh, element to it uh, for the church, uh, um, for uh, church institutions, for uh, church leadership. Uh, um, there's a suffering involved, but it's it's a necessary suffering. We need to lean into that suffering. Uh, because something new is wanting to to emerge, to break, to break in, and, and we've got to make way uh, for that to happen. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast, everybody. What do we got today, John? Oh, man. Zach Hogue. Zach freaking Hogue. This guy's awesome, man. I think you and I both started reading his book, The Light is Winning. And actually, this is one of those rare occasions where like, we get books that are sent to us randomly. Like, I'll come home, and it's like it's like Christmas every, every day. Every day for like, nerd Christmas. Yeah, publishers send us books, which is awesome. <laughs> so awesome. And like this is one of those occasions where we found it, it kind of sat on the bookshelf for a while. Mm-hmm. I think you cracked it first, and, yep. and I got a text from you, and you're like, dude, this book is amazing. This book is fantastic. And it's like we started looking into it, started following Zach on social media, and we were like, this dude's speaking our language, he man. He is a lot of fun to follow on social media. <laughs> he does not. Yeah. <laughs> Not pulling any punches. He shares his opinion. <laughs> and we love that about we him. We love that about him. But yeah, he, he the, the book is The Light is Winning. Um, I believe it's his first book. Mm-hmm. And um, like the beginning part of this book, minus the cult part, because I wasn't in a cult, but <laughs> the rest of it was like, damn it, this is the book I wish I would have written. Same. I, yeah. did, did I even text you? I think I texted you something like that. Like, yeah. I wish I had written this book. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to get like, too much into it yeah. because this is such a good interview and we hit on on so many things but we we reached out to Zach immediately and we were like dude can can we talk you know can we hang and he's like I don't know I mean I just <laughs> no he was totally down and he's uh, become a, a friend um we actually text each other uh, romantic yeah texts back and forth I, did I tell you about that day <laughs> I don't know I got a random text from Zach Hogue random out of nowhere saying you know, see you soon, love you, or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, driving in my car, I was like, what the? Did you get an accidental wife text? I got an accidental wife text. <laughs> Please tell me you texted him back immediately. We were like, love you too, buddy. Can't I wait did. to see you. Of course you. I did. <laughs> so, so then on Twitter, we started like talking about like how we were like texting each other sweet nothings. <laughs> He's a really fun guy. He's um, awesome, man. So fun. Really, really like, uh, really like him a lot. And he's just got a lot of good things to say. Here's somebody that has uh, been through what a lot of us that listen to this and participate in this conversation have been through. And he's just got a good heart, man. And he's not giving up. He is endlessly optimistic um, and realistic at the same time. So I think you guys are going to really like this interview. So with that, oh, you're going to... gonna. I was going to give a little bio. A little yeah. bio action? Yeah. So, so Zach um, is an author, preacher... 
and creator from New England. Um, he started church planting. Um, I, I reference the fact, uh, and he'll talk about this, that he was um, a child who was raised uh, for a time in a cult and uh, then kind of got out of the cult and um, started, uh, you know, became a pastor and all that sort of thing. And, and this is uh, really uh, the result of all of those different things kind of informing um, his life. So very interesting story. And actually, right around this time, we will have launched our brand new website. Yes. So go check that out. It's still the same same domain name, www.thedeconstructionist.com. And it's been battled. It is. It's been battled. Ryan by battled. Ryan freaking battles. This thing. <laughs> Which if, if you need website design, yes. we can connect you with Ryan Battles. And he will give you the deconstructionist discount. And if you saw our previous website... Uh, and had been to it, the very much outdated... <laughs> Which was embarrassingly <laughs> it was so awful. so bad. It was so bad. Our horrible links and our non-social media <laughs> it was, situation. We used MS-DOS to, yeah. yes. <laughs> to write it. Like, if you, could, if you could use crayons to create a website, that would have been the equivalent of our website. But if you go there now, it is slick and shiny and beautiful, and we have launched our Patreon campaign with lots of goodies and fun things on there. Oh my gosh, we're looking at our new website right now, and we're it's both so good. <laughs> oh, it's so pretty. Father James Martin's face is right there. Oh my goodness, you can you can. There's donate links. There are links to connect you to iTunes to follow us on there. There are links to um, all of our. Finally, I know a lot of people have been asking. You can stream our up to date episodes on our website directly from the website. Um, so if you have parents like mine who are technology. Um, uh, inept, uh, you can like literally without having to, to explain step-by-step how to, how to, how to get on iTunes or any other platform, uh, to subscribe. They can literally just click the play button on our website. One stop shop. But the reason I bring this up is because we now, Adam and I have now launched a blog. So you will, you will see some of our thoughts and uh, different topics, but we're going to have some special guest bloggers. Mm-hmm. And Zach um, is going to be one of our first guest bloggers on here, so yep. uh, probably won't be up by this point. But but keep your eyes peeled, you know, bookmark that bad boy, and um, well, some cool people contributing to the the blog portion. This is Deconstructions 2.0. Gotta love it. And so, without further ado, let's get to uh, Zach Hogue, who also does website design, by the way. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there you so, go. We'll appreciate shout out, it. A little shout out for him too. Yeah, I'm sure he's really good at it. Yeah. So uh, this is a fun conversation, and, and uh, we present to you. Zach freaking Hogue. Alright, well, Zach freaking Hogue. This has been a long time coming, and ever since I read your book, I've been dying to get you on here, man. So thank you for taking some time, carving out some time to hang with John and I on the Deconstructionist Podcast tonight, man. We're thrilled to have you here. Uh, thanks, Adam. I appreciate that. Just just stoked to be here. Awesome, dude. Uh, also, a shout out to uh, Zondervan for, uh, sometimes I just get gifts in the mail. Yes. Um, they send us books, you know, that are similar to other guests that maybe we've had on, and and, you know, sometimes they're awesome and sometimes they're like probably not a good fit for our show. But like this one was one that uh, we've been recommending to a lot of our um, our inner circle and, and anybody who will listen, basically. Yeah. Um, so they really knocked it out of the park with this one. And might I say the um, the cover art is on point, man. I like the cover art a lot. Yes. Love it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, they so really thanks, did Zonder Von. Yeah. Job. Yeah, they did. So good. <laughs> so I, I have to point out before we get started that, and I pointed this out to Adam before we started, that you are actually not the first person who is formerly a member of a cult to be on our show. <sighs> I'm sorry. It, it, it's, a, it's a bigger club than you'd realize. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it's true. In, in overly religious America. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's Yeah. No, but I think that's a I think that's a cool place to start. I mean, that's kind of where your book starts as well. Um, but uh, kind of take us through kind of your background, and you have this very interesting story, this very inter- interesting progression from uh, you know perhaps the the most constrictive, restrictive uh, form of uh, of religion uh, into where you find yourself now, mm. and and kind of your your journey along the way. So, um, if you could start there, tell us a little bit about how you got in involved in a cult and how you found yourself uh, getting out of uh, that situation and, and into the place where you are now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, when I was 10, my, my, uh, my family moved from Miami, Florida uh, to this little town in East Texas called Jasper, Texas. And it already sounds bad. You know I'm what I mean? So like, sorry, man. <laughs> was so that where sorry. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was filmed? <laughs> I, I feel like it should have been. If it wasn't, <laughs> it, it really should have been. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it was. It was a, a, a kind of a drastic move, but it was uh, based on the fact that my father had been absorbing and and, and just um, really getting into the teaching coming from this particular uh, church in this uh, in this town, and and there were there were uh, a lot of folks like us who had had moved there uh, from various parts of the country uh, because of uh, of the main dude uh, uh, the the pastor guy who was uh, who was doing his thing and and uh, making something of a name for himself mm-hmm. at the time uh, I think he was even on like TBN occasionally oh, wow um, oh, but then but then got like kicked off. You know, and uh, dude, when you get kicked <laughs> off TBN, yeah. I feel like that's a, I mean, that's a credential in and of itself. You know, just like, <laughs> yeah. That's a line on, on your, on your cult leader resume. Yeah. <laughs> like you were too extreme or too, you know, whacked out for, for TBN, <laughs> man. That's, that's saying something. Yeah. So anyway, so, so that was, uh, so, so we, we went there and, uh, and you know, I mean, I was, I was a kid, but I was also a really kind of engaged and, and astute and observant and uh, and I was all in on on this whole thing. I thought, you know, we're we're going to be part of the move of God in the world, mm-hmm. and it's all located at this epicenter in Jasper, Texas. And uh, <laughs> and and I was all in, and we went, and and it really did turn out to be um, a full fledged cult. It was in kind of a, a, a Pentecostal tradition, but it was um, a high control, extremely toxic and unhealthy with a man at the top who was really controlling everything and, and ruining people's lives uh, uh, in the process left mm. and right. Um, and the theology was kind of right along those lines. I mean, it, it was very authoritarian um, this idea that uh, um, the the latter rain manifests sons of God, uh, um, um, restoration of apostles and prophets who are going to come in and set the church straight for the end times. That was kind of the big the big idea. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so we were there for 
for a couple or few years. And, uh, and during that time, uh, you know, my family, uh, was just massively affected, uh, by being in, uh, this, uh, this context. And, uh, by the time we left, um, it, it really had sunk in so deeply into, uh, the roots of our family dynamic, uh, that it would take, uh, decades, um, for it to, um, sort of manifest in, in negative and destructive things. So, so we left this cult, but the cult didn't leave us in a lot of ways. And it kind of, um, was a part of the the theology and the practice was a part of my, uh, um, my life, childhood and into young adulthood. And, uh, and, and it was very tough to break free, uh, from that and uh, and so and so it can't be overstated really how authoritarian Christianity um, just is 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 destructive to the core and it creates so much harm and devastation in people's lives. It's almost like a, like the authoritarianism. I, I almost feel like is an infection that you get at some point and you really start to associate. Like you don't even. It's so hidden that you don't even realize that you're associating. Um, cause this is even true in my life to some degrees. Like, you know, you're associating and even looking for, uh, authoritarianism to make you feel like there's a true experience of religion. Yeah. And, you know, so you move from one, almost one version of it to another. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's hard to shake. It's, it, it kind of, uh, it, I think there also is a sense of, uh, well, there's fear involved, you know, you don't want to be on the wrong side. Yes of those who are, you know, chosen by God yes. to to lead the church and especially if there's this kind of, you know, big uh, final in, you know, in, in final judgment that's like impending, you know. Yeah. Uh, you really have a sense of urgency about that and on the right side. Yes, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you you know, you're really almost just an anxiety you got to find that kind of authority and uh, and then also, I think there's a sense of, uh, of of comfort in it. You know, there's a sense that, well, you know, I need somebody to tell me what I've got to do. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. And if I don't have that person or people telling me what's right, uh, then I don't, don't even know, you know, and I and, and, and honestly, for a lot of us who uh, who come out of those experiences, that's a that's a really tough one uh, to heal from uh, because we do kind of have this sense of not really knowing how to how to choose how to uh, um, direct kind of our own lives. It, it, it's something you have to relearn in a way after being under such uh, heavy handed uh, authoritarian control. So, yeah, it's almost like you don't even know how to believe anything unless somebody is, you know, explicitly and aggressively and authoritarian, uh, with authoritarian control, telling you exactly what you're supposed to believe in, even, even down to the language. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We it see this is all the what, time. Yeah. 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 What to believe, what to say, what to do, uh, who to associate with, who to avoid, uh, mm. you know, all of, all of the, uh, uh, what, you know, what's biblical and what's not. Right. And, uh, and what's going to get you, uh, uh, sent straight to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> right. Right. Or, or just some equivalent of like going to the spiritual principal's office and just being shamed, you know, for, for reading the wrong book or, you know, asking the wrong question or, you know, whatever we call it belief by proxy. You know, it's like you just, you align with certain leaders, you 
regurgitate everything they say and you don't even have to think anymore. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and, you know, in a way too, this, you know, this cult experience that I, that I grew up around, I think what, what it does, and I think a lot of folks who have, have grown up in similar kinds of, of religious environments, uh, it, it, it kind of, if you come out of it, it really kind of sharpens your senses to, to recognize, uh, authoritarianism elsewhere, uh, in the church, uh, and in the world in general. So, so that you're, you know, in a way it doesn't have to be a, such an extreme expression for you to start to see, catch the hints of no, no, no. This is this is this is uh, controlling religion. This is controlling Christianity. This mm. is this is unhealthy. This is not okay. And and uh, and so I think in a lot of ways, even you know culturally right now, we we have an authoritarian uh, uh, president and uh, with yes, a, with an do. extremely authoritarian perspective on uh, how to run. The country uh, and that sort of thing, you know, so you can you start to spot these things uh, in places that you know wouldn't bear the uh, the label of a cult or something like that. But mm. it opens your eyes, I think, in a lot of ways. So then, what after the cult? Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, our 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 family began this kind of kind of uh, <laughs> strange uh, ministry odyssey, uh, um, uh, leaving Texas, uh, uh, going to uh, New York uh, briefly, into New Jersey, uh, uh, and starting trying to start uh, churches, really in the same uh, in the same general kind of uh, vein as uh, as the Texas uh, uh, cult that we had been a part of, and uh, and these were were all constant constantly imploding upon themselves and, and just, uh, uh, you know, lots of, 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 of destructive uh, uh, things happening along the way. Then finally our family ends up in of all places, uh, uh, Vermont, uh, which, <laughs> which is, uh, uh, about as, as far away from, you know, Texas and, <laughs> and, uh, and the, uh, you know, the, the, maybe the, the hotbed of, uh, of Pentecostal weirdness as you could possibly get. This is, uh, you know, the land of, of the frozen chosen and, uh, uh, <laughs> uh lots of, uh, progressive, uh, mainliners, uh, and also just people who don't really care that much about, about, about the church. And so, uh, so we ended up here, uh, um, and, uh, and here is where, um, I met my wife and where I started, uh, as I was getting a bit, uh, more independent and, and starting to find, uh, some things, uh, that worked for me, uh, individually, uh, started to kind of progress away from uh, this this controlling Pentecostal type of expression that that my family was a part of into uh, um, of all things uh, uh, reformed theology and just straight up Calvinism. You know, five point predestinarian uh, the, the the whole deal. Um, you know, and that was uh, election reprobate. I think I was. I think. I was all, I was good with reprobation even so so, so sure why, why not <laughs> on to this uh, uh, thing and right around the time that I was uh, you know um, meeting my wife and, and and we were about to get married and you know we became part of a uh, of a Calvinist Baptist church something uh, maybe akin to uh, what would uh, fit within the gospel coalition. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, John Piper type of uh, type of uh, genre, and and that was uh, that was 
place for, for the next, you know, half decade. So, yeah, so an interesting transition from one thing baby to another steps. there. But yeah, just baby steps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as, as it was. It was they could have just I, added another Sola, I was thinking. Like, you know, you got Sola Scriptura and Sola Christus and Sola de Gracio and Sola Deo Gloria and all those. And Sola Reprobata. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> by, by reprobation alone. <laughs> Don't yes. give them any ideas, I know, Adam. Man. Sorry. Oh, yeah, Several people listen to this podcast. Okay. It's okay. Got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Dang. So that was, and that was honestly, I mean, uh, in a lot of ways, and I, I, I do mention this in the book that that grabbing onto theology, any theology, some kind of intellectually uh, driven system uh, was actually really huge for me. And uh, it was a needed step. As much as now I kind of look back on those days and cringe somewhat uh, at what I was uh, consuming in terms of literature and and preaching and teaching uh, and and what I had kind of grabbed onto at the same time, uh, it absolutely was a necessary uh, step, and and, and might have saved my life in some ways. Um, it's a big part of what what brought my wife and I together, as she had been part of a Reformed church growing up, and uh, and so the fact that that we had that common ground and that it was something that I could grab onto that that really took me out of uh, at least. Uh, um, you know, a step out of uh, the toxic, uh, um, uh, controlling uh, Christianity I'd grown up in. So, mm-hmm. so it was, uh, it was a step. It wasn't yeah, a man. full. Step. There was, there was, uh, there. You know, and there, my eyes were open to problems there. But at the same time, it was a needed step. So I'm grateful to, uh, to you know, Luther, Calvin, Edwards, and and Du Bois uh, for helping me out there. I am too. Uh, I really am. <laughs> I, I think that people, you know, part of the whole transcend and include thing that we really like to to push here is, uh, you know, it's easy to kind of step back and kind of make fun of the former versions of yourself. And I think there's even some catharsis there. It's like, you know, a little humility, a little self-deprecation, like, man, I wasn't right then. I might not be right now. I don't know. Like, yeah. Uh, but it's also really important for people to not critique too much wherever they find themselves right now, because it could be an important part of whatever the next step is. And, you know, there is an, an inclusivity and a humility that comes from being like, yeah, it was necessary. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It, it, it almost is a, a, a way of, of, uh, growing into, uh, your, your true self. Um, there, mm-hmm. there are, uh, pendulum swings, I think, involved in that where we, uh, discover probably different facets of ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, focus on that, that one thing for a while, you know, but, but there's a, a sense that we slowly assemble the pieces, uh, of who we are. And, uh, and, and in that assemblage there, there can be, uh, some funny seasons, you know, yes. <laughs> where, where we are yes. uh, heavily kind of intensely focused on one thing or another. Uh, but yeah, it has played a role in, and shaped part of who I am in a really good way. And it brought freedom, um, uh, a, a step towards freedom that I really needed to take. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, grateful, grateful for that, for that phase, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so after this point in your life, um, obviously you, you're in a very different place now than you were then. So at what point did you, did you decide, Hey, this, even this, uh, this, this version of the faith that I have right now, isn't, isn't quite where I feel like I need to be. This isn't quite it. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, that was that was kind of a, a gradual dawning uh, um, uh, type of situation as well, where mm. uh, my wife and I were, were part of this uh, uh, church for uh, for about five years that was uh, heavily Reformed and Calvinistic, although uh, still a, a Southern Baptist church and uh, in Vermont, again, strange, but, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, and a very, a very unique uh, church for this area too. So, uh, but we were, we were um, uh, very in, involved there. I, I uh, kind of quickly became uh, involved in, in various ministry activities and I was, uh, you know, uh, co-leading a, a home group with a senior pastor, and I was uh, um, uh, the assistant uh, youth group leader. And there was, you know, a lot going on and a lot developing where where perhaps I would move into uh, more pastoral ministry uh, in that context uh, as time went on. But uh, what we started to realize was uh, was that there there was this theology at work uh, that was also uh, um, uh, practically uh, becoming uh, problematic, and uh, and that in uh, this particular expression there was a lot of uh, of doubt uh, in the congregation as to whether or not uh, um, they were truly saved. Mm. Uh, Doubt, a lot of uh, fear about uh, about where uh, um, uh, their souls would be headed, uh, and uh, a very anxious bench kind of situation. Uh, heavy preaching from the pulpit on on hell and uh, and what it takes to be truly elect. And this created just a, an atmosphere of anxiety and fear with the youth group that we were working with. At the time, um, uh, hardly any of the high schoolers uh, felt that they could call themselves Christians. Um, uh, those who did had their confession of faith uh, doubted by leadership. Yeah. To question, uh, there was a heavy uh, complementarian emphasis uh, where women were really excluded from any leadership or decision making, and there was a heaviness uh, over the uh, the women of the church, including my wife. So slowly but surely, um, this environment, this atmosphere, uh, also became too constricting, and uh, um, the the desire uh, by those in leadership to exert their control and their power uh, in order to keep this this institution functioning. And, and humming along financially even uh, was became too much. It became something uh, um, um, that was contrary to our growing understanding uh, of the gospel and of who Jesus is and that and that led to us to us eventually uh, moving on from there. Man you know there, there, <clears throat> one of the things that I love about your book is I was reading it. I just kind of felt like I was reading some kind of great combination of you know like the narrative and the kind of you know, heartbreaking humor of like a Donald Miller to like, you know, the content of somebody like a Brian McLaren. And it, it just, there's so much good content and, and you weave it in so well with your story. I think one of the things that we're, we're kind of talking about right now that you were starting to realize is a concept you draw out in your book, uh, this concept of apocalypse, right? Yes. And, yes. and how, you know, there's all this research and all these studies that like people aren't going to church and the church is dying and the church is losing rev- relevancy and blah, 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 blah. And like, whatever people think about that is fine. But you kind of take that a little bit and you kind of say, yeah, okay, there is an apocalypse happening here. But like where we would normally see apocalypse as being this word that means like the end of everything or, you know, the, the whatever, 
it actually means something else. Could you talk a little bit about um, like what you, you talk about, like is the apocalypse that we're encountering that you are encountering right now? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, as someone who, who grew up around a very apocalyptic brand of Christianity, yeah. it was in a lot of ways, a concept that was drilled into me, this the sense of always looking for the end, you know, looking for um, where all of this is is gonna uh, end up and and how it's all gonna come to an end, uh, the signs of the times, you know that mm. was that was always uh, our focus growing up. And um uh, in a in a strange way, maybe that that kind of got into me so that even in this next uh, um phase of my life and of my faith, uh, uh, I still have a sense of well i'm i'm still kind of interested in what's ending uh, i'm still interested in what's what's coming to an end and what the signs uh, might be just just not in the same way you know sure <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. So for the, the the total end you know the end of the world uh, um i'm not looking for uh, um the judgment to rain down and and for uh, some kind of cataclysmic thing what i am uh, um really looking for though is is what uh might be happening uh in the american church right now that is leading to an ending of sorts mm-hmm. and uh and i think what we're seeing uh is is a revealing and that's the mm. literal meaning of the word apocalypse i think we're in a time where a lot is being revealed, a lot of the the harmful, uh, uh, um, unjust, and uh, um, uh, destructive uh, um, practices and compromises uh, that have occurred in uh, uh, in the more recent history of the American Church. I think we're in a time where all of that is kind of coming up to the surface. Perhaps it was held under the surface for a while, kept at bay, kept hidden. Mm. Uh, Now it is being revealed. I think we see that uh, with the advent uh, of the internet, because uh, uh, people are speaking out about things like this. Um, I think we see it just in the uh, various eruptions of injustice happening uh, culturally. Um, I think we even see it in the way that uh, these certain harmful elements sort of try to grab power in uh, um, in really drastic uh, ways, uh, perhaps even in the political sense, uh, things are being revealed that were uh, once perhaps uh, just kind of nicely concealed. Yeah. Uh, and in a time like this, um, the revealing is meant to uh, uh, sort of precede and make a way for one thing to come to an end mm. so that something new can begin. Mm. And uh, I really do think that we are in such a time, and it is uh, it is not the the end of the world, but it's the end of something. And yes. uh, and it's 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 necessary for us perhaps to to not resist that ending, to not lament it, even even though certainly there's there's a painful uh, uh, element to it uh, for the church, uh, um, for uh, church institutions, for uh, church leadership. Uh, um, there's a suffering involved, but it's it's a necessary suffering. We need to lean into that suffering mm. uh, because something new is wanting to to emerge, to break, to break in, and, and we've got to make way uh, for that to happen. The lights were low enough, you guys. Swapped your conscience with your father's medication Limped from Rome to Lawrenceville 
Oh, that's good. Heck yes. So <laughs> what I think is fascinating and uh, that you talk about in the book is that you, you grew up, you know, you, you start in this cult and then you, and then you kind of uh, move into a little less rigid, you know, the, theology, but still pretty rigid. And the, the common denominator there is that this emphasis on the, uh, the apocalypse and apoc- uh, specifically, you know, revelation and this, you know, apoc- uh, apocalyptic literature. And then you talk, you revisit that in the book, though, and you talk about um, I think it was uh, Brian Zahn um, and, and kind of his breakdown of, of Revelation, and it reminded me of um, one of my favorite books by Marcus Borg, where he breaks down Revelations um, in, in the end of um, reading the Bible again for the first time. Yep. Yes. Yes. And and it's and it's fascinating because you know this hyper focus on Revelations. Um, uh, would have been a lot more useful had they actually like gotten the point, gotten the point of, <laughs> of this literature, right? Like it's this warning against empire. And yes. you bring this up, Adam and I talk about this all the time uh, about how, this, this corporatization of, of the church and this kind of modeling after empire. And you bring that up in the book and we were both like high-fiving over here. Yes. Um, so yeah. talk about that a little bit and, yes. and how kind of ironic that is, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, if it, I I really think, and 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 you know, this this is from my perspective as a uh, um, as a, a you know a, a one time uh, pastor and church planter, as a preacher, as a lifelong learner. Uh, but but my impression is that there are some some key threads that run throughout the entire biblical narrative. Uh, certainly, we could say um, just this developing idea of God as rescuer in Jesus. That's certainly a thread that runs all the way through. Um, but there's another thread, I think, as well that runs through, and that's and that's empire. I think uh, from, from Genesis to Maps, uh, we see <laughs> empire. You know, we see uh, the people of God, this called out a group of people who uh, are supposed to be a, a sign of, of something different uh, um, in the sort of in stark standing in stark relief uh, to the empires of the day. And uh, and they're supposed to be a countersign to those empires. They, they end up compromising with empire a lot of the time. And uh, but that's a thread. And then when Jesus arrives on the scene, it's it's the Roman Empire, you know, that is right there in the background of every scene and story, uh, every teaching that he brings. It's against that same backdrop, and um, uh, he's confronting the religious system for its compromise with empire, looking like empire, acting like empire, showing uh, um, those types of signs uh, rather than a countersign to the way of power and control uh, and uh, um, all of the uh, negative and harmful and unjust Things that that result from that. So, so I think that's a common thread. And yes, the, and, and Revelation is is the grand finale. <laughs> you know, it really <laughs> is. I think the clash of of the Lamb, uh, the, the the true King of the true Kingdom, against the the Empire, against the powers that be, uh, the ones that want to perpetuate the same uh, type of uh, of sinful power 
uh, and control uh, over uh, people bringing destruction into God's creation. Uh, um, it, the, the, the war is the war of peace. It's, it's the, the lamb um, um, seeking to overcome uh, um, through his people this, this empire business and, uh, and establish uh, um, a kingdom of justice and peace and love and equity. And uh, and so that, yeah, I think that's the big message, you know, and it's the one, it's the one that we miss in all of our end times obsessions. Uh, but but empire really does, I think, encapsulate uh, all of what's being revealed in these times that uh, we as a church are are in 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 many ways graciously being uh, exposed for the ways that we have compromised uh, with empire. Brueggemann, you know, sums it up so well as military consumerism. Oh, yes, yep, that's, that's empire. That's you know, it. it's military consumerism. It's it's uh, it's it's the it's the machine of greed and violence. Uh, uh, of seeking to lord it over others to their detriment in order to enrich yourself and uh, um, bring uh, selfish gain. Uh, you know, this is the, the, the inequity, the un- injustice, the inequality, all of that is wrapped up in uh, the conflict with empire that, that, that the church is, is meant to be a countersign to, but too often compromises with. Yep. And, and it's amazing that we we can't see the empire around us when the top one percent have more wealth than the other ninety nine percent combined. Right, right, right. It's, it's amazing. It's absolutely remarkable, and yes. it's, and it's become the whole context for what any metric of desirability, um, success, achievement, any kind of goal that anyone basically has just even the word goal um, yes. looks upside down to what uh, the narrative of scripture, Jesus um, is, you know, coming in to basically, you know, deconstruct and just yes. completely turn it on its head and say, no, 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 no. That's right. That's right. Yeah. There's such a subversion inherent in, in, in the gospel uh, which uh, is completely uh, amissed when um, the gospel is wielded by the dominant people group yep. uh, and is used as a tool of domination uh, yep. Yep. rather than a tool of subversion. Yep. And, oh, and so we, we, we see that again, you know, rearing its head all the time. Uh, it, you know, just look at a, a, the typical uh, news cycle. Oh, uh, yeah. We are, are 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 witnessing this on on uh, uh, in just such explicit terms on a daily basis, where uh, the church, where um, um, church leadership, uh, are utilizing it as a tool uh, the gospel to assert their own uh, dominance and perpetuate systems of injustice. And I I love to even think about like when you look at the context that that Jesus you know of Nazareth was born into the actual. Um, socioeconomic political context yeah. that he was born into. It's amazing in the Gospels when you look at it and you see this this conspiring of the Pharisees, who is you know it's religious empire, the right. Herodians, which is royal you know Jewish yeah. empire, and and see the Romans Caesar, 
Yes. Which is the overarching empire. And they're all conspiring together and they all decide unanimously, dude, we got to get rid of Jesus. Like, right. like we've got to get rid of this guy. Like, no, no mas. <laughs> no mas Jesus. <laughs> no, no. And I mean, yeah, right. It could it be any clearer. Yes. Oh. That, I mean, which, which, uh, which group? And are, they all are, hated each other. <laughs> they do. Yes. 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 Oh, it's amazing. Right. Oh, I love what you say uh, early in the book. You've got this great quote that I underlined. And you say, you know, this BS happens when we don't face the root issues, but instead seek temporary solutions to perpetuate what's already passing away. When we miss the forest fire among the trees that haven't yet been set ablaze and we choose our ideals and illusions, even if they are as innocent as the desire for relevance and cultural coolness over deeper kingdom realities. Yes. Mic drop. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, you know, and 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 right, and and uh, and only because uh, I've had my ideals stripped away <laughs> personally. <laughs> I mean, right? awesome. Yeah, right. No, it is. Again, it's it's a it's a gracious thing. It's a necessary suffering. It's and and um and 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 what a loss if uh, if we don't um receive it if we don't allow totally um that suffering to teach us what it can teach us uh but if we resist it and seek those temporary solutions and and fixes uh just to keep the numbers up you know just to keep uh, um uh the metrics going status quo uh, baby you know th- that that's what we want to do in our um sort of in our our, our baser ego type self you know we just want to fix it oh yeah and uh, we've got conferences for that you know <laughs> we've got oh! we've got uh we've got classes and workshops for that we need to you know how do we fix this thing um but it is all bs if we're not receiving the lesson that the suffering uh, has uh, to teach us, uh, you know, that that's something that uh, uh, my friend Glennon Doyle Melton says all the time so well that suffering is is, is a teacher, a professor. Yes. Um, you know, yes. it's not something to shush out the door and, and get rid of. Uh, we got to receive, uh, even at this broad uh, collective corporate level, uh, the suffering that comes to us in order to learn what we need to learn and to move uh, out of uh, this ego level of living into something uh, that much deeper and richer and fuller and truer. Uh, um, let's stop playing the games. Let's let's live real life, uh, even as uh, the church in America. Let's let's not play uh, games. Let's not hold on to the show. Uh, give it up. You Let know? it die, and, and man. To- Let it die. <laughs> right. Enter into the real. That that's where the action is. That's where we want to be. Yeah, I'm telling you. I think uh, I love I I love what Marx. When you know everybody blasts Marx, you know in the church, you know for saying that religion's the opium of the masses. And you know honestly, it is. It really is because in a lot of not religion, but like you know the the status quo BS version of of the like you said, like just just give us another conference, give me another book, give me another something, you know epic worship service that's just going to make me forget about all the real that is too painful to look at. Yes. And, you know, just like that's the reason people do drugs. It's um, Alain de Baton, uh, one of my favorite atheist uh, authors and thinkers. He does the School of Life. He's got this incredible YouTube video in the School of Life as to why people watch porn. Mm. And, and, and if you literally just ran that whole video 
and substituted porn for the modern church. Right. It would honestly say the same thing because his whole point is you are so miserable and sad at the state of your life and you don't want to look at it that you need to just look at something that's just going to get you going to just forget about it and, and just anesthetize you for a little while so that you can just get back to the grind and then, Oh, you're, you're back to doing it again. And honestly, that's like a lot of times the church cycle. And so I love what you're saying because the real beneath the surface needs to be looked at. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be processed. And that's, that's why John and I want to do this podcast. We're tired of people feeling like they can't talk about it. They can't talk about their doubts. They can't talk about what they think is wrong. They can't talk about what they see as a problem. And so what do they do? They leave and they get pissed off and, you know, they screw it all, you know, but if there's safe places, like you talk about through your book, you know, the value of deconstruction, not as an end in itself, but something that brings you to a new beginning, yes. this becomes a beautiful way to gently and graciously and humbly and openly say, look, hey, hey, real, I know you're out there. I'm ready to, I'm ready to look at you. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it is. It really is about a, a readiness. You know, it's um, it's 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 this process of uh, of perhaps having uh, our defenses, our our ego defenses, yes. slowly but surely brought lower and lower. You know, to wit, to the point where we're finally ready to look. Yes. You know, and and we're finally ready um, um, to see it. You know, for me. Uh, and often, and just just like um, uh, Father Roar says, it's not <laughs> ever something we choose. You know, it's not nope. something uh, we just this. Oh well, you know, I think today I'm going to uh, get rid of my ego defenses and <laughs> decide uh, to 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 look at the real. Uh, it it's something that no. that comes upon us. Yes, uh, we can either uh, um, choose to receive it or or reject it. Uh, but it's something that comes upon us, and and yep. I think in a lot of ways, for me, oh. you know, I I came out of that uh, uh, that that uh, highly conservative Calvinistic Baptist church, uh, wanting to do something different, wanting to to plan a church that would fix a lot of the problems that I saw, and and there were good things that came oh, yeah. uh, from that desire. I mean, beautiful things, true things, wonderful things. Uh, and yet, um, it's like that's the place, you know. When I was trying to solve something, uh, that's the place where I was met with that suffering at the deepest, most mm. devastating level, and that's the place where my ego defenses were brought down, you know. And and really, all of uh, of the uh, collected. Uh, um, uh, damage and uh, and uh, harm uh, in my life from uh, from this childhood in in a controlling uh, Christian environment all came to the surface, and I had my eruption of the real as our uh, church plant came to an end, and uh, and and life 
changed mm. and the deconstruction began mm. and uh, and that process of being in the wilderness and not knowing which end is up mm. and and whether you can do this anymore and how can you even understand God in light of all that's happened and and all of those questions came uh, right uh, to the forefront and it was time to face the real so, you know I want to reach above the paradox where nobody can see. Wanna hold the light paradigm and strip it to its feet. I wanna feel the way my father felt. Is it easier for me? I wanna know if there's a higher love oblivious to me. So, so I want to piggyback on what you're saying because I think this is resonating with a lot of our listeners right now. Uh, but one of the things I really liked at the beginning of your book. Uh, that I think applies here is you you quote some some uh, statistics uh, from the the Pew Research Center, um, which I love. I'd read I'd read those studies before. It's something I'm kind of fascinated with in terms yeah. of uh, this youth movement. You know, if you want to call them millennials or um, the, the group, I I guess I'm loosely affiliated with the Generation Xers before them. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, <clears throat> put me in whatever category you want. But um, what this research research shows and what you talk about at the beginning of your book is this idea that uh, there are more, there's a larger group of what we call nuns or just kind of like um, individuals who are like kind of apathetic to uh, the whole idea of organized religion in general right now than ever before in history. But what's interesting is that there's also uh, another study that, that Pew also conducted that shows that there is an overwhelming percentage of millennials uh, who are also, uh, also still believe in some sort of higher power. So there's still this, this a sense of uh, religious curiosity that's still kind of clicking around there. And, wow. um, I, I, and I think it applies to what you say about like this idea of this, this necessary uh, death that leads to rebirth. And in some ways, I think that you're, you're uniquely qualified to speak to the fact that um, you know, something that Adam and I talk about a lot is that in some sense, you know, the church kind of needs to die a death and be reborn if it, if it, hopes to be uh, relevant and survive. Um, but what, what does that look like? What does it need to do to, you know, to capture the, the, the youth? Yeah. 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 Like what, like, right. Like what's the kind of the, how does this look, you know, and, and what is, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, there is a, a, a sense in which the spiritual, but not religious, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, creed, if you want to call it that, which mm-hmm. it almost has risen to that level culturally of being a kind of creedal statement uh, of uh, um, folks who might fit into the nun category and certainly a large number of of the rising generation uh, of millennials with uh, obviously uh, Generation Z, I think, right behind behind them, uh, that there's uh, um, a sense that this has been uh, something to grab onto, that, that no, I can't fit myself into um, a religious box. I can't check that box on the survey, and I can't, uh, I can't find a reason uh, to keep up with these obligations, uh, institutional obligations, but, but I'm still looking for something. I'm still, yeah. uh, I'm still spiritual. I'm still trying to find meaning, uh, um, beyond, uh, just, uh, my physical experience. I need something more than that. And, and there's something 
beautiful and and, and super uh, positive, I think, uh, in that um, reality and that cultural reality that uh, we see. In fact, I think in a lot of ways, the there has been uh, some literature recently coming from a, a, maybe the more conservative end of the spectrum that has said, said something like, well, you know, all the people who are saying they're spiritual but not religious, the people who are leaving the church or however you want to say it, well, those folks were never part of us to begin with. Yeah, That's, I've seen you know, that. Clearing, oh. clearing out the, the riffraff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> this is, yeah. And, and really what you're looking for are the true believers, you know. Yeah. Um, maybe Christianity isn't cultural anymore. Therefore, um, you know, good riddance to all of these nominal uh, uh, um, Christians or I think former Jesus Christians. Said that. I think Jesus. Yeah, I think yeah. so. It yeah, I think that was very, <laughs> <laughs> very, yeah, it's very, very biblical. And, and yeah, but no, but, but yeah, the whole like, you know, lost sheep, lost coin doesn't seem to add up. But anyway, the, <laughs> right. the point being um, <laughs> that, that, that kind of response, this dismissive uh, response is meant really just to uphold the status quo, the status quo of the institution, yes. uh, the status quo of the theological constructs that we've built, yep. um, the status quo really of 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 uh, many people's livelihoods, <laughs> you know, and uh, and what's wrapped up in uh, how the church sustains itself. And uh, and to uphold the status quo, we need to be dismissive of those. Um, we we develop almost like a, a hyper Calvinistic kind of perspective. Anyway, I think that stands in stark contrast to what it means to lean in and receive um, this great revealing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, to to take part in this great ending, to seek out a new beginning, because that means we've got to. Repent. It means we have to yeah. we have to fought to let these areas of our compromise with empire be revealed, and then we've got to change course. Um, and change coming uh, to the church uh, is, I think, the um, the sign uh, that the new beginning is on the way. And those who are resistant to the change and dismissive of those who are perhaps pointing out these areas that must change, these areas of empire business, um, that that those folks uh, uh, ultimately, I believe, are part of something that's passing away, that's that's coming to an end. Mm. Uh, whether they like it or not, I don't think you can stop apocalypses. I think they come and uh, and uh, you can't stop it. You know. Yeah. I so I think it'll look like repentance. It'll look like change. It'll look like leaning into those areas that the nuns and the duns and millennials who have left the church and the spiritual but not religious, lo- looking at what they're saying, listening to what they're saying, learning, changing, and, and, and moving forward into what's next. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I, yeah. I completely agree with that. I think, it, I think it's going to look different than it did for our parents' generation, right, where, where they were coming out of like this very traditional denominational uh, yeah. yep. system mm-hmm. And they kind of, you know, evolved church into, you know, these non-denominational churches that now exist. But Jesus where do you movement. go from there, right? Yeah. So I, I think it's, I think the the change is going to take place individually. Um, you know, I think people ask us all the time, we, we get emails like, hey, where can I find a church in my community that allows me to uh, explore these questions and that sort of thing? And it's really hard to answer that question because 
for you, that could be a really cool Lutheran church in your community, or it could be a non-denominational church, or it could be a Catholic church. Yep. It, it yeah. completely depends or it on... it could be a small community of just like-minded people that are yeah. seeking to do something together and... Meeting at Starbucks. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think there's... I, I think it's it's going to be impossible to to nail it down and say, you know, this is what church is going to look like. Um, yeah. You know, it's I, like people are so scared that they want to get ahead of it. Like, what's it right. going like, to be? Like, okay, let's go there. And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, you got to go to church. You got to be present. You got to... <laughs> yes. You got to be here first. Yeah, it completely depends on the community. Yeah. You know? That's right. And Zach, like for you, you know, kind of coming, you know, we want people to buy the book and read it and, and right. you know, get, get involved in your work, but you know, so don't give too much away. But like, one of the things that I loved is you did something that resonated so much with John and I, like we, we both uh, in different ways said, this is the book that I wish I had written, you know, like mm-hmm. this is, I've got, I've got so much resonance here because you take this, this word that we use, obviously it's the namesake of our podcast deconstruction. And you talk about it in a really, really positive, favorable way but in a way that always leads to something. It's not yeah. something to just, uh, you know, sit in forever and say, that's it. You know, I took it all apart and blah, it's done. Right. But so, yeah. And so for you, you talk about, you know, the positive aspect of deconstruction leading somewhere, you know, giving birth to something new. And for you, that was discovering tradition. Yeah, that's right. You know, and I think in a way it, 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 it is almost strangely counterintuitive, but in a sense that I think makes sense. Um, and, and it was kind of like this, you know, I, I found uh, in my personal experience that, um, that as I deconstructed, um, I needed kind of like two things. I needed a space, uh, a spiritual space, a religious space, a, ch- a church space in which I could do that, mm. uh, in which that deconstruction was okay. You know that it was it was not something that was going to get me kicked out or or pulled into meetings, right? <laughs> or, right. Or or something. It was it was it needed to be a place where where that kind of process was was not only uh, tolerated but welcome, where it was not seen as a sign of you know well you you clearly don't have genuine faith. You, you know, and, and you 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 must just go out from us because you were never one of us, uh, or something along those lines. Instead, uh, uh, it needed to be a part of the journey. You know, part of so so that was that was number one, and and number two, man, I I needed something to hold on to, mm. uh, uh, because uh, because the deconstruction uh, can easily become demolition. Uh, yes. It can yes. leave, it can leave us with nothing, just a pile of rubble. Not good. You know, I think what we see, interestingly, in kind of the rise of a of a fundamentalist kind of new atheism, right, yes. which has flavor of fundamentalism, it's this desire to 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 uh, hold on to something in the midst of irreligion, you know, to have something just just rock solid and authoritative uh, and absolute. Um, it's but the what other I mean, fundamentalism. It is. It is. So 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 if 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 what we're trying to get away from is that kind of certainty, that kind of addiction. To um, to absolute uh, truth and 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 this way of seeing the world that is black and white, then then we need a structure to inhabit that will allow um, for that space that that very vibrant space that tense 
space of of reality of the real which is gray and beautiful and rainbow colored and 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 diverse and and amazing and and that is a structure that um that we desperately need or else we're going to end up um deconstructing kind of into oblivion or adopting another fundamentalism yes. entirely so so for me it was um to see that well this structure is is here it's always been here you know it's the eucharist Yes. Uh, the structure is the prayers. The structure is is the liturgy. Um, the structure is uh, um, uh, you know being together and, and and saying things and doing things um, repetitively week after week that give us a sense of identity, even if we're personally processing and moving and transitioning and going from from here to here in the journey that we're still um, together and a part of something bigger uh, than ourselves. This is what keeps us, I think, um, connected uh, to the vine, to the to the to to Jesus uh, um, as He uh, is and has been and will be. There's a, a continuity here um, that we desperately need in in an age of the spiritual but not religious. Creed, I actually wonder if where we're kind of headed is to a spiritual religion. I completely, um, that's so yes. Phyllis Tickle. That yes. is so Phyllis Tickle right there. I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's what we need. We need, we need resurrection. We need to, to find ourselves revitalized. You know, my, my, the, the, the namesake of, of my denomination, uh, John Wesley, uh, famously said, you know, I, I don't have any fear that, 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 that the Wesleyans, the Methodists, should disappear from the earth, but I do have a great fear that they will have the form of religion without the power. Oh, wow. And so the form of religion without the power is, uh, is a zombie religion. That, 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 that doesn't work. Um, but, you know, seeking out power or spirituality or experiences or, or, or some kind of connection uh, without the form, without the structure um, to give it meaning and definition and hold it and 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 lovingly embrace that experience in the sense of identity and belonging, it also doesn't work. it's It's similarly kind of undead and empty. So we've got to have both things, yeah. And you know, even um just in kind of closing here, I'd like to kind of say something and then just ask you like one more question. And you know one of the one of the biggest things that, uh, I think John and I get questioned about quite a bit, and I'm sure you've probably been there too. Uh, when you start asking questions, when you start throwing words around like deconstruction, everybody kind of freaks out, and uh, you know, on, on all sides, you know. And, and you're right; there's a danger where people start, uh, quote unquote, you know, taking things apart into oblivion or deconstructing into oblivion. But when you actually, when you actually look at what the word, you know, in the philosophical sense of the idea was meant yeah. to do, and you you go back to some of what Derrida and you know, we love you know, like Caputo and, yeah. and some of these guys, it was not about taking things apart endlessly in this endless critique, kind of like the new atheists do, even though they, they don't turn that sword much on themselves sometimes. Right. Um, but it's about freeing something up to move again toward its future. It's, it's, it's releasing the spirit inside where the structure is calcified around it. And yeah. you're trying to freeze a waterfall like Caputo would say. So it's actually a liberation from the tyranny of like conceptual and ideological idolatry. Like we've yes. got it. We formulated one way to say it and we're never going to allow it to, you know, breathe. 
like the spirit right. is always trying to do because the spirit is breath. The spirit is always on the move. The spirit yes. is blowing like the wind, like Jesus would say. You know, you don't even know what where where it comes from or where it's going. And so deconstruction yeah. is is peeling off the idolatrous structure enough to allow the spirit to move into the future. And and yes. that's and that's honestly what John and I are all about and what I hear you saying and I think it's so important to reiterate that. And that's that's my statement. That's kind of my little like I think people need to hear that again and again and again because deconstruction just can sound like this overly critical, cynical thing and it's it's not. It's a journey into the real. It's a journey into the spirit. Amen. And, Amen. And, and, yeah. And, and so why why then, Zach? Why is the light winning? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I I think it's I think it it it's uh, it's integral to what to what you just said. I I think the light is winning uh because the spirit is breathing. The the light the light is winning uh because hope the hope of resurrection is alive yes. despite the empire compromise of the institution and the form and the structure that in the midst of endings, there are new beginnings about to break in. And so the light, the light is winning uh, because that's, that's the, that's the game Jesus started. That's the thing uh, that he set into motion. Uh, And, uh, and yeah. And, you know, I think, um, Oh gosh, you know, you're just saying that this there's the the breathing out um of deconstruction, the sense that this has become too confining. You know, that's the first half of life. Yep. Right. It it's too confining. I can't continue to live in the world like this. Yes. Because everything is changing in the way I see and the way I understand and the way I inhabit. So so this this is too confining. I can't I can't inhabit this anymore. Mm. But but what's beautiful is that the second half of life then opens up into this outward-facing reality that has just as much identity and belonging uh, in our context, uh, a belonging to a tradition, uh, an identity in Christ, in Jesus as our center. Yes. But we're facing out now. Mm. You know, we're no, we're no longer confined, but we're facing out. We're keenly aware that God is up to something out there Mm. beyond the boundaries, outside the camp, you know, uh, um, beyond the bounds that we um, often set up to confine things, to define in and out, to, 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 to make things controllable <laughs> and understandable that the God's at, at work outside of that. The spirit is at work outside of that. And that's the second half of life way to see and live. And, uh, and that, that, that's how the light is winning. We, we, we then step into the second half of life, uh, not only in our own individual experiences, our own individual faith journey, but perhaps we can even do that as the church in the United States of America. You know, we can step out of one way of doing this thing and into something new. You're getting us too hopeful, Zach. Golly, getting us too man. hopeful. <laughs> Preach it, Zach. Uh, well, before we let you go, and uh, we just want to say uh, thank you again for coming on, man. This this book really. Um, just spoke to us and really just put into words a lot of the things that we've been saying and thinking and 
and uh, it could not be more timely, but uh, we want people to go out and get this book. So um, where can they find your book? Where can they find uh, your work and keep on top of what you're up to right now? Yeah, no, thank, thanks for having me again. And, and yeah, it's, uh, um, I'm pretty much Z Hogue everywhere. So Z Hogue on Twitter and Z Hogue.com is, is, is the website. Uh, the book is on the light is winning.com. It's also just any, any, uh, bookstore, uh, online. And, and, and I think there, there even have been a few real bookstores, physical <laughs> bookstores that I care, but, but, uh, who goes to those places anymore? But, um, <laughs> but anyway, no, it's, it's available kind of wherever books are sold and uh, and yeah, I'd love to to continue the conversation with anybody. Uh, uh, Z Hogue, just just look for me there. Awesome, man. Sweet. Well, we've got an extra copy. So when we release this episode, um, as you guys are listening to this, we would love to give away a copy. So we'll do uh, stay stay uh, pay close attention rather to our Twitter feed and uh, and follow the instructions that Adam gives you, <laughs> and you might win a copy and Instagram, of this awesome book. And Instagram and Facebook. But one one last thing we need you to do is we need you to go to Goodreads right now. Yes. <laughs> and we no need freaking Goodreads. We need some five-star reviews on this book on Goodreads because <laughs> the Goodreaders are slacking, and I know we've got a contingency of listeners who, who like to use that, that website, that app, so go fix that. You know what we'll do? Here's what we'll do. We will have people tweet their Goodreads review. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. And we will, we will enter them into a contest to win something. Yeah. Oh, yes. Perfect. That would be amazing. Thank you. <laughs> the LinkedIn of books. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank Love it. You. Well, thanks again, Zach. This has been awesome. Uh, we really enjoy your perspective, man, and we'll, we'll have to have you back on again. Would love to. Thanks a lot, guys. Grace and peace, Zach. Thanks for hanging with us. All right. Thank you. that guy i mean how can you not love that guy <laughs> i i just it's funny um like we said in the intro like i remember when i first started reading his book and and really like digging into it like the first part i was just like almost like annoyed that he had gotten there first because even the way he opens the book where he's he's quoting statistics about millennials and kind of the direction they're going i'm like that's exactly the way i would have done it too <laughs> but bless him for doing it no but it's um yes bless him for doing it he really, I think, taps into a lot of what we're doing and really speaks to a lot of things that a lot of other people, specifically in our age group, have been thinking. Um, and he has a very, very unique perspective, although, as I pointed out, he is not the first person to be on the show who had been part of a, a, a cult previously. Steve Hassan. Second one. Yes. I, I wonder if Zach knows of Steve Hassan? Hassan, yeah. Hassan. I always want to say Hassan. <laughs> I, did, I think that's the way I pronounced it on the episode. That's like a maybe like a Middle Eastern way of <laughs> yeah, you know, inflecting that. Yeah, if people people don't know if you've just joined us recently within the last like few months or whatever, and you haven't really had time to go back and dip into our older episodes. We have a really unique, interesting episode, um, just about how to protect yourself from negative spiritual situations. Because yes. um, it's not like so we we had a cult expert on Steve Hassan. No, not just a cult expert. The cult expert. Seriously, he is, man. Yeah, he's on CNN and like all the major networks anytime like cults make the news essentially. Yeah. And like this dude like was in a cult back in the like I think it was the 70s mm-hmm. and um the Moonies. Dude, and the, but the thing that was the most mind-blowing and I I would love to talk to Zach maybe next time we next time around 
about this. Like a lot of the cults that you think of immediately that come to mind are like the Moonies or yeah. like David Koresh and like, you know, and, and like the really like out there, you know, like cults, like yeah. the family, you know. Oh, right. Things like that, you know, like you think of like Kool-Aid. crazy. Kool-Aid. Yeah, Kool-Aid, like black Nikes, white flowing robes. I want some black Nikes. Heck yeah, dude. <laughs> Things are expensive. <laughs> but, uh, but like he, he taps, he like goes into um, like all these different types of cults and, and how you could be a part of an organization that exhibits cult-like activity without even realizing it. Like um, he goes into corporations and yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, side no. tangent. No, I mean, it's not really a side tangent because that's exactly what um, pulled all this stuff up for Zach to become this voice yeah. that we desperately need right now. And, and I really do mean when I say everybody needs to follow this guy. If you're in a place where you've lost hope or you've been wounded by the church or you've been through a mess, you probably haven't been through as big of a mess as Zach has. Yeah. And the guy has through research and through digging into his soul and through being aware of, of what's going on, has been able to become continuously optimistic and realistic at the same time, which I think is something we just don't see very often. We usually see people that are super bitter and they're trying to kind of huddle together and that's their hope. It's like, well, at least we have each other, yeah. but it all sucks, yeah. you know? And, and, and I get that. I've been in that place before. But what I loved about this is the whole idea of the apocalypse being is like, yeah, people are leaving the church. Um, churches are, uh, you know, um, behaving like cults a lot of times. They're trying to hold on to the past. They're trying to control people. Um, they're aligned with the wrong political ideologies a lot of times. They're, they're yeah. nationalistic. You know, there's all this crap. There's all this stuff to be mad at. And, you know, while some are trying to either deny that or repress it or overemphasize it, Zach is, is kind of saying, look, this is a revealing of what's actually going on, and that's okay. Yeah. What needs to die will die. Yeah. And the light is still pushing forward, and it's going to be okay. Yeah, he, I think the tone of his book, um, I, I, you would think going into this book, because as you said, this guy has every reason in the world to be like, screw this, I'm <laughs> yeah. done. Oh my you know, like, I tried this a couple times, didn't really work out, I'm kind of done with it, you know? Uh, but there's this very hopeful tone throughout the book. And there's a lesson I think that we can take from that and that he's very um, hopeful and there's a lot of grace throughout this book. Oh, drenched in grace. Like it could be very, cause there are, you know, books that, that kind of approach the same subject matter that come off very snarky and bitter and that sort of thing. Uh, and this could have been that, but it's not, no, it's not at all. No, it's not. And um, you know, I think that you nailed it. Grace is the linchpin. It really is. Grace um, is permissive, and it's ex ex uh, inclusive, and it's accepting, and it, uh, it counters cult-like behavior that's always seeking to just modify behavior, that's always seeking to just control people, to have people uniform, uh, tribalism, all these kinds of things. Grace always cracks right through that stuff, man. That's why you... you when he talks about Zizek, and he talks about, like, you know, Pete Rollins is always talking about grace... Uh, being the thing that exercises things out of a person or a culture or an idea because it's true grace, like unconditional grace. Like what can survive it? It's just yeah. pure love. And it, it, yeah, it's, that's a great, I think that's a great thing to, to pick up as a thread in, in Zach. 
Yeah, and I mean, all you got to do is flip on the news these days to see that we could probably stand to have a little more grace. Yeah, you know. Uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, right now, and and honestly, like, yeah, I just, you know, I think if you're in any any religious uh, setting, any uh, situation where you know um, they're not letting you ask questions, right. or they're cracking down on what what you're allowed to read or who you're allowed to read, or you know, they immediately shut you down as soon as you like raise your hand. That's not a good situation. Mm. You need to get out of there. No, <laughs> like, no. And I'll even add to that. I think that in the kind of um, the place that, that Zach is writing into and that our podcast speaks a lot into, it's people that have kind of woken up and they do want to ask questions and maybe they have had to leave church communities or they have had to leave groups of friends or <clears throat> maybe traditions or things like that. And, uh, you know, there, there's a, there's an inclination that I see, and I know you and I have talked about this, to swing to another type of certainty, right? To another type of snarkiness, to another type of, um, you know, oh no, that wasn't it. You know, the fundamentalism isn't it. So I'm going to go over here and find a new kind of certainty. And I'm telling you, you can, you can hear the ego in certain personalities on both sides. And it's like, oh, that's the same ego, just yeah. using different language. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous game to play because immediately you are excluding someone. Yep. You're just excluding a different group of people now. Yep. And I, I think we have to be very careful not to start new clubs. Yeah. Because, you know, with, with clubs come memberships and memberships are exclusive yep. and exclude. And, yep. you know, I think we, we talk about time and time again, transcend and include. Oh, Richie Rohr. That include part is very, very important. I'm telling you, man, of all the people that are, I see, you know, leaving their traditional church tradition, you know, traditional church tradition. <laughs> about that? Yeah. That was a mouthful. <laughs> that was nice. Uh, a lot of them love Roar. Mm-hmm. And I don't see a lot of people, myself included at times, really seeing how serious, you know, this idea of the false self and transcend and include is to yeah. what that guy teaches. You know, that is why I think he's so important. And yeah, to bring it back to Zach, I see the same things being said in Zach. Like, it's okay. You can transcend and include. I think that's almost what he means a lot of times by the light is winning. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. Go out and get this book. Please support him. Um, It's, uh, I think it's printed by Zondervan. Is that right? Yep. So the book is out now. It's hot. It's Go hot. It. It's hot, man. Go get it. It's good. got a good cover art too, man. Yeah, Look at it's it. It's good, man. I, I like everything about it. I like Zach and um, pick it up. Yeah. You're going to like it. We, you know, we, we, uh, we always appreciate when you guys go out and support like the people that we have on means a lot to them, means a lot to us. Yep. And um, I think you guys will like that book. And uh, you know, if you guys like uh, some of the guests that we have on, like some of these books, um, an easy way to get yourself a copy of those books is if you go to our Patreon, there is a uh, Patreon uh, package as part of our campaign that we have that is a book a month club where we will li- literally curate um, a reading list and every month you'll get a brand new book uh, potentially by one of our guests not always but um, books that we're we're reading that we like that we think are beneficial the we'll ship it to your house yes man so uh, Who doesn't love a good book club dude I think that's the best idea we came up with we will curate <laughs> nerd goodness for you yeah, we'll just yeah. ship it to you. I know. I feel like it, we should send mixtapes with it too. Oh, yeah. that would be awesome. <laughs> we'll work on that. Yeah. We'll make you a private Spotify playlist. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. Well, for now, guys, thanks for hanging with us and Zach Hogue. The light is winning. 
Deconstruction is a good thing. Oh, before I forget. And John has something else. The band this week. <laughs> I'm really trying to be better about this. We have a lot to talk about. I got, we got a lot going on right we now. Do. Um, the, the, I'm trying to be better about actually giving the correct bands. Yeah. Uh, so this week is one of my favorite albums of the year. This is a band called Manchester Orchestra. Oh my gosh. And if you haven't picked up this album yet, their, their brand new album, it is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's one of the best uh, beginning to end complete albums it's, I've heard in years. I completely agree. So if you like the songs on here, please go out and support them. Uh, tweet at them. Let them know that we sent you. Like It means a lot to us. It helps us get new bands. And uh, they know that this actually helps them in some way. So. People helping people. Yes. This is people helping people. So get on it, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you guys next week. All right. We love you guys. For now, we're your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. Grace and peace, guys.
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.